Every episode is brought to you by Bill Fick Ford and the WCRA. Thank you to Train Shot and Lonesome Rider Coffee. Guys, Bill Fick Ford is the number one Super Duty dealer in the country for the fourth year in a row. You guys have heard me rant and rave about Bill Fick Ford for the absolute best buying experience in the car industry, truck industry. Bill Fick Ford's the place to go. I bet you remember the old ad where I said I was getting a new Super Duty. Well, here's the keys for that. Bill Fick Ford delivers, guys. Noble discounts, noble interest rates, the best buying experience you can get. And if you are not local to Huntsville or the Houston area, he'll deliver it to you just like he did to me. Bill Fick Ford. If I say, who wants to be a millionaire? Would anybody not put their hand up? Of course not, especially in rodeo. Well, thanks to the WCRA, the dream of a $1 million purse has finally come true. You can win $1 million by nominating your rides and runs and earning points with the WCRA. Through the Triple Crown of Rodeo, the WCRA will award a $1 million cash prize to any athlete or collection of athletes who wins first place in any three consecutive WCRA major rodeos. $1 million up for grabs, which is pretty much unheard of. Rodeo Corpus Christi will be the very first stop in the 2021 Triple Crown of Rodeo. The event will pay over $540,000. Yes, I said it, $545,000 and will be held on May 6th through May 9th. There will be zero entry fees. That's right. You don't even have to pay to enter this rodeo. The only thing you have to do to qualify for the Triple Crown of Rodeo event is by nominating your rides or runs with the WCRA. Here's the common misconception with the WCRA. It's just for the pros, for the elites. Well, if you can hang with these people, but maybe... Maybe you don't want to commit to Pro Rodeo. I get it. I get it. It's a big commitment. The WCRA is made for people like you because you can enter these events, nominate your rodeos, and win crazy money, just like Rodeo Corpus Crispy and this million dollars we keep talking about. To learn more, just visit triplecrownofrodeo.com. Again, that's triplecrownofrodeo.com to see how you can earn a spot at Rodeo Corpus Crispy and possibly be the rodeo's next millionaire. Pow! Guys, if you're like me, you are literally running your entire life off of coffee. One thing I've learned is that I've become a coffee snob, and I'm very picky about where I get my coffee and what I drink. Can't just drink any old coffee. Lonesome Rider Coffee is one of the few out there who truly produces a great product. They are a family-owned and operated, veteran-owned and operated business. They do great things in their community. They've got charity partners where they donate 25% of their proceeds to that charity. They do branded products with each of these charitable partners and they receive 25% of the donations from the proceeds of that coffee. Guys, they're great. Lonesome Rider Coffee has some of the freshest and best coffee I've ever had and it can be delivered directly to your mailbox. And don't forget to go to lonesomeridercoffee.com February 8th through the 15th to get their Valentine's Day promotion. Use the coupon code LONESOMELOVE at checkout for that nice little discount. Guys, if you're like me, you're hoarding your guns and ammo right now. We don't know what the heck is going on. Here's the thing. You can't get ammo, so the last thing you want to do is train and use up your ammunition. But, of course, on the flip side, you've got to train if you want to be effective with your arms. That's where our partner, TrainShot, comes in. They've created a seamless app and device that allows you to shoot and improve your skills. No tapes required. No spotting scopes required. No wasted time downrange. You will also save a ton of money using train shot because you don't use the same amount of ammunition and supplies that you would with traditional targets. The app is designed specifically to save you time and of course the ammunition we keep referencing. You can track your speed, your improvements over time, draw time, reaction time, shot specific recovery time, how badly you can beat your buddies because 
that's one of the best parts. You can compete across the United States with anybody who has a training shot or specifically with your friends. Guys, this is one of the funnest ways to drill and shoot. The ammunition savings alone covers the cost of the unit itself. And of course, all you have to do is download the simple app. Train shot is one of my favorite products for 2021. Get yours today. Go to trainshot.com. Again, that's trainshot.com. And here's what's great. If you get this from the gauge, use their promo code for a special treat. Use promo code free ammo to get one box. That's 50 rounds of nine millimeter mag tech, 115 grain FMJs. And these aren't cheap reloaded junk guys. This is good stuff. Again, that promo code is free ammo at trainshot.com when you purchase your train shot. This is The Gage with host Chance Conradu. Are you freaking serious? It's Conrado. This is The Gage, and I am Chance Conrado. On this episode of the podcast, we've got a musician named Creed Fisher. Creed has opened up for the likes of Toby Keith, Disturbed, Travis Tripp, you name it. Uh, he has an album that's trending top two or three on Apple's music charts, so he's getting ready to really enjoy... The things that come with whatever that is, because I don't know a lot about the music industry, but I know when you trend high, that's a good thing. Uh, his bass guitarist was here, his manager was here, everybody was drinking and having a good time. It's it's an unorthodox episode, but totally worth the listen if you want to be entertained. Check it out. Oh, we made a change up. It's a different color. I'm trying to be nice. There's only one Coke, so Paul's <laughs> a Coke and Jack guy. So, well, we could we could uh, send Riley over to Fuel City down the street and. Grab a package of Coke. Oh, oh, well, it's in the go. closet. We got a supply closet filled with Coke. See? Look what you did. You just derailed the show for the third time. Who's driving home now? It's snowing at the gauge. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> it has before. I won't be partaking in any of that. <laughs> Last time I did that, I ended up cutting a video feeling like shit. Did you do it the next day? Is that why? I did it the day before. It didn't work out well. No, you get it. it's got to all happen within like 45 minutes. It does. I'm horrible with that. That's why I stay away from it. I'm like Chuck when it comes to that stuff. <laughs> really, Chuck? I'm trying to get out of this. Leave it to Chuck. If anybody was going to do it, I know it was going to be Chuck. The one thing. Hey, no feedback from the back. Chuck. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's watching, he's watching the broadcast. Oh, I, wanna watch it. I don't want to watch it live. I want to watch it on he's my phone. He's standing here, but he's going to watch it on his phone. Chuck, are you 14? <laughs> Chuck is 14. If that doesn't explain Chuck, I don't know what was. <laughs> I'm going in the pocket right now. <laughs> what is that, though? Is that some of that Tito's there? It's Tito's and Sprite. Oh. Huh. Just as good. It, I mean, it looks like you're just a guy who wants to stay hydrated from here. I know, right? I have the best vision. You could get away with that at school. Drinking Actually, I'm yes, hydrating. you can. Yes, you can. Although, you don't look like maybe you went to school all that much. Probably not. I graduated. That's Did all you? that matters. That is. That's better than a lot of the people in this room. At least two I know of. I hate to admit it, but he's smarter than he looks. I really want to say that. Well, I thought That's he why smart. I still have I my hair. Looks, I thought he looked very smart. Hey, I, I try. Choice, I try. That was, that was my choice. No. That was not by choice, Chuck. Don't lie. I can see your receding hairline from here. <laughs> you can't see past that monitor. 
I know you too well. Anybody that's watched Fairies Wear Boots knows I've rubbed the top of that head more than once. Yes. I know where the stubble ends and when it begins, okay? <laughs> Is that why you're divorced, Chuck? Yeah. Something to do with the stubble comment? Uh-huh. Yeah, probably- it has nothing to do with Sturges. You know, go to YouTube and pull up our uh, tribute to Black Sabbath, Fairies Wear Boots. You'll get that joke. <laughs> Well, we should we should actually talk about Creed Fisher and the music and the whole thing before we get on YouTube, off yeah. of YouTube, because we're uh, on YouTube, and then we're going to be off of YouTube. We're live streaming. but Got to love it. One uh, one thing that I thought, I had to do a little research on you, um, but Paul's been talking about you forever. Since we set up this studio and started doing this, I said, man, I got to have my guy Creed Fisher come in here. You know, he would be a, a good guest to have on the podcast. You need to get into music, you need to do this. And now we're doing it. Now you're here, and uh, I'm pretty intrigued kind of just your whole journey right because if you look at some of the stuff about you 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 are very adamant that it's it's been a long road for you it has 10 years about eight years of hell and one year of okay and this year has been all right so far (laughs) (laughs) okay we'll go to year one what kind of i mean what made creed fisher want to get into the music industry you know specifically you know what's interesting is you've got this like old country feel but then it's just a bunch of words from like a new age rock song which is why i like it so much actually my first introduction to country music was marty robbins when i was still in the crib and they had me stuck in that crib so i couldn't get away i'd have a choice so i grew up on the gunfighter album by marty robbins and then when i was about six years old vhs came out which that's showing my age i shouldn't say that but and i saw this guy george Strait playing uh playing a concert and from that point forward man that's all i wanted to do and it was a passion from a very young age started writing songs when i was about nine years old and then you hit puberty you know and you go in a different direction but you always come back to to the stuff you loved when you were little and when i saw george Strait on the stage with all them girls yelling i knew what i wanted to do with my life be a rock and roll singer so when did you actually, when did you start? Like, you know, obviously there's got to be this stage where, well, do you actually have a voice that works? Can you play a guitar? Like, wh- where do you go from, man, I like George Strait to, I, hey, I actually have what it takes to be decent at this. I didn't learn that till I was about 35. I, I got into music at 33. I raised my children. Uh, when you get married and you have kids and you're poor as dirt, there's only one thing you can do, and that's work. <laughs> But when I got divorced at 33, I went from having three people in the house to every other weekend, and I just reverted. I played uh, minor league football till I was 33. So football was kind of my passion, took over as I grew up a little bit and through high school. And after high school, I had a chance to go play college football, but instead I went ended up going in the Army. And when I got out of the Army – I got back into to playing football. So that was kind of my passion until I got divorced. And the year I got divorced when I was 33, uh, I had to quit playing football. <laughs> so I lost basically what the whole world I had known for 12 years was gone. You know, so I had a lot of time on my hands and I went down to the pawn shop and bought a little flat top Kona. And that's where it all started. And I sucked, man. I was bad at first. I've always been able to sing good. I did karaoke, you know, from... Karaoke came out when I was about 19. 
And so I was into karaoke and stuff and just never, I was never good at being patient when I was younger. If it didn't come easy for me, I put it down. And so playing guitar was a challenge. And when I first started playing, thank God for uncle pooch, because he sat around and listened to, to that. <laughs> he still talks about that and tells stories about it, how bad I sucked, but, uh, I wanted it. I wanted it bad. So I just kept, kept doing it. And it came to a point where I finally moved from my first move from my hometown was to Fort Worth. And, uh, when I got to Fort Worth, I didn't have a job. So the only thing I had to make money was playing my guitar and singing. And so it, it changed from a, a thing where all that, you know, I wasn't comfortable playing guitar back then, but then I didn't have a choice. I had to, to do it to, to survive. And so I got out there and I did it a bunch and I got better, a little better every day at it until a point where when I moved, when I moved back to Odessa a year later, I opened up for Travis Tritt and it was acoustic. It was both acoustic. He was acoustic. I was acoustic. And that was the most nervous I've ever been for a show in my life because that was uh January of 2014, so it's been a while back. And I peeked behind the curtains and it was it was a sold out show, three thousand people. It was a theater. So when you step on stage in a in a, a, a place like that, you could hear a pin drop. And that that was tough, man. <laughs> but I lived through it and I got through it pretty well. I I did good and from that point forward, I mean, it's all been uphill. Uh, from that point forward, I, I performed with the guitar effortlessly, effortlessly, how you say it, Chuck? Effortlessly. 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 <laughs> no, but it all changed after that. You, I, I could never be nervous again for anything. We had a, a we did a showcase for APA in Nashville back a couple years ago in December. I guess it's been two years. And I was not a bit nervous stepping on that stage because of that moment that I that I opened up for Travis Tritt. And it was just – I picked behind the, the curtains, and it's just people as far as you can see. And they're not standing up. They're sitting down. So when you step on stage, you have their full attention. And after that, man, it's, I've never been nervous for another show. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, that's a that's a big person to open for. I mean – how many, I mean, what were the steps to get to like opening? Cause you don't just like, Hey, I'm going to pick up a guitar. I'm going to start. I mean, you probably had to sling a lot of freaking gravel. There was a lot you know, of touring to, to that was it. involved yeah. when I first started. I came up from the very bottom, you know, and I grew up going and hanging out with guys like Mark McKinney and Cleet Bradley of uh, Buckshot Bradley. They were big in the area that I grew up. You know, San Angelo, Odessa, Midland, Lubbock. And so it was a lot of work, to be honest with you. You know, I went, I, the worst show I can tell you I ever played, we drove my first, me and my first band, we drove to Houston, Texas to play at a place called Billy Jean's. And I'm just trying to get out of West Texas and, you know, further my, my career and my horizons and 
we drive nine hours. <laughs> we drove nine hours to go play this bar for about 10 people. <laughs> and we got there about an hour before the show. And it, if you've ever set up equipment to play a show, you know, it takes a good hour, an hour and a half <laughs> to do it in the sound check. But, uh, we did it, man. And we, you know what? We played with, we played from the heart and we, we were happy to be there and we made some fans that we still have today, but that was, uh, that was a hard road, man. It's a lot, you know, and then you drive now at nine hours home the next day. So yeah, that the start for me was brutal, man. I I've been to Houston so many times where I've drove straight through from Odessa to, to Houston, nine, 10 hours and just all over Texas, to be honest with you. But I was younger back then, so looking back on it, I, it's I'm fond of the memories, you know, even though it was hard. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's just life right there. But it, it's interesting because, like it, you you were talking about like getting divorced and doing all this thing, and like you you put all your chips on red, which was music, which is like one of the smallest possible success rates you could choose. It's like hey, well, why not real estate? You know, I mean, like, you, mm -hmm. you pick something that so few people could ever hope to succeed at, and that was that's what's fascinating about what you just said to me. It's like, dude, this dude, no backup plan. I'm going to pick the hardest freaking road I can possibly find and try to make it work, and that was your, like, this is how I'm going to do it. I mean, so I don't think a lot of people can say that, you know, especially knowing what you have to go through and coming from where if, you came from. No matter what you do in life, I think the, the most important thing is that you believe in it. If you believe in it, then you can make other people believe in it. And you will you will have the strength to withstand the, the bad times if you truly believe in it. When I first got into music, I mean, it was my parents at the time owned a, a million-dollar business, which I grew up poor, but when I was about probably 23, my dad started his own business and it and took I went, off and it took off and uh, you were like, God damn dad, you couldn't have started that right? 12 years ago. Yeah. Thanks, you look dad. at my pictures when I was little in school, my school pictures, I was poor as dirt. My outfit was four different colors. Shoes <laughs> to, to coat. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, my parents had a million dollar business at the time. And for me to tell them, Hey, I'm not going to take this over and run it. I'm going to go do music. They did not uh, take well to that at first, but well, especially cause you had kids and they yeah. probably were calling you a dumbass, right? Well, no, I, I mean, just, you know how parents are. Well, My yeah, parents have said well, that to me. To be honest with you. I mean, yeah, they were calling me a dumbass. They, they were questioning my decision for right. sure because it impacted them as well. It meant that I wasn't going to be there to run their business, but, uh, it worked out for the best, and if you asked any of us today, we, we wouldn't change a thing about how it worked and how it happened. But uh, I got into music when I was still working for my dad, and it kind of all worked out the way it was supposed to because if I hadn't been working for my dad, I wouldn't have had the flexibility to tour like I did and, you know, leave early on Friday and show up late on Monday, you know, and so I'm very, very blessed and thankful for that. Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And it just, it kind of adds layers, right, to the story that you're kind of telling. It's like, okay, well, here's another thing, here's another thing. And it kind of pieces together 
what kind of guy you are to get you there, which is what I find fascinating, why we like to do these so much, you know, because it's interesting. We do a lot of, like, real famous rodeo people, but there's so many right. parallels between, like, the music road <laughs> oh, and that. Absolutely. I mean, and, and, I mean, that's why George Strait is the Chances way he is. Chances of succeeding. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's why that's why George Strait, something about rodeos all the damn time, it's because, dude, they are, like, almost the same thing. Different, right. but, like, the same type of path, right? It's the same dynamic, for sure. Yeah, and, I mean, you came from... The as a guy who's not from Texas to kind of see it's it's interesting, right? Because you see all these, I don't know if you want to call them red dirt country music guys, or the Texas music scene, and a lot of people can't break out of that, right? Like right. they hit a certain level. But I mean, I just saw your page that you guys were in like the Apple top four with like Florida Georgia Line and Willie Nelson. Right. That's crazy. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I just think when talent meets opportunity. It happens. I mean, I mean, super. I mean, I, I'm super excited about that fact. But I don't talk a bunch about it. But to just to be, just to have an album in the top ten of the of the of iTunes pre-orders, because it's been my first album that's kind of stuck in the top ten. I've had albums that debuted at two and you know three and five. But they always floated between nine and twenty on the pre-orders. So to have one just stick at four, and literally to have your name in between Loretta Lynn and Willie Nelson, it just kind of sets in that you, you, you're there. You know, you, you've been working your butt off for a long time, and you, you're there. I mean, the album's been in the top ten since it debuted two weeks ago. So that's something that I've never done, which is always cool. That's what I mean. You're always looking to do the next thing you've never done. You know what I mean? You just keep progressing, progressing. So that was really cool to, to debut at four on the pre order chart, which kind of crazy because it's weird. It's, it doesn't really make much sense. I don't really know how it all works. All I know is what my albums have done before, and none of my albums have stuck in the top 10 and just stayed there without moving around. Yeah, I've heard from other people that kind of like the algorithm for Apple Music and all that stuff doesn't make a lot of sense, and it's really hard to figure out what's actually going on. Right, it makes like, it makes no sense on every single front, yeah, including podcasts. Yeah, we've seen we've seen weird stuff with it too for us, but it's like like you'll see humongous names, right? And it just it doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know who makes those decisions. Just some Silicon Valley dude. Yeah, and you got to realize, I mean, you have a lot of some of the artists that are pumping a lot of money into marketing too, which helps you, you know go higher it just exposes your name to, and the the project to more people but just the fact that i've been able to stay in the top 10 the whole time through the pre-orders has been like a step up for me so i, I know i have to believe it's going to debut at least at two if not one right so that's kind of what we'll see what happens but i know it's going to debut at least at two and i'm shooting for that number one spot and you cross genres Rock album, yes, you put out a rock album. I did. I had a number five on the rock on the rock charts, which I was, to be honest with you, that's might be what I'm most proud of. To be honest with you, yeah, not a lot of people cross genres like that. No, they don't. And I'm very proud of that. I think that's what makes my music so much more popular, is because I do cross genres, and so if it, one thing I always heard when I was growing up from ton of people i always heard i i don't like country but i like hank jr 
Well, it was because of the words. He was saying things to country that you would hear in rock and roll. It was very raw and edgy. And I, I think I'm the same way. I think people, a lot of people say, I've heard a lot of people tell me, I don't like country music, Creed, but I like your music. Well, I mean, and to be, to be, we have frank, our, new, our new single that's coming out on the 25th is heavy metal. <laughs> yeah, it is. I collaborated with uh, Brian Scott of the union underground, which is, was a huge band uh, out of San Antonio back in the nineties. They toured with, uh, from, with everybody. I mean, five finger death punch, uh, shine down. They toured with a lot of different people. And I mean, He's reaching he's reaching levels of success now that that I know I'll be hitting about ten years from now, where he has twenty million streams on a song, and and it's it's so I uh, through my relationship with Taz Osterhaus, I met Brian, who's the lead singer of Union Underground, and I said let's do this. We should redo this song across the nation, which was his. I think it probably his biggest hit. It was picked up by the WWE back in the early nineties. It, it was their theme song. And, uh, <laughs> I, I just asked him, man, look, I want to do this song. And, and if I, if I do good, a good job on it, I want you to do it with me. And he, he agreed and man, it's turned out phenomenal. And it's more, I guess you would call it heavy metal almost. <laughs> Which yeah. is crazy. Yeah, and I mean that's, I mean I'm I'm a, I'm a cowboy by trade kind of, but that's my genre, right? It's like the kind of concerts that I like to go to. So like when Systems of the Down came to my town, I was ready to freaking go, <laughs> right? You know that kind of thing, and uh, it doesn't really necessarily correlate with like rodeo and all that. But um, what I really found fascinating about your music is all the stuff that I hear in my favorite songs. I hear in your music just with that, like that old country vibe right i mean you're not gonna hear george Strait or travis tripp singing about weed and one night stands no which is why like you know I my don't, music's not, very edgy well it is it's right on the edge of what's acceptable to society and you play with toby keith one night you play with toby keith one night at sturgis and the next night you play with disturbed yeah <laughs> yeah now you're talking about a crossover of genres <laughs> well, yeah but i mean that I mean, you've reached so much more people, right? Because you're a guy, I me, even though I'd love to talk to Toby Keith, you're going to lose me at the right. Toby Keith thing. But Disturbed, dude, I got like 12 of those on my iPhone. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, I've, it's I've just, opened up for uh, Disturbed. Uh, who's the band? Drowning Pool. Yeah, Drowning yeah. Pool. yeah. Disturbed, Drowning Pool, and Saliva. I've opened up for them. And, uh, of, of course, it's all been at bike rallies. But they like to mix it up at bike rallies. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, it'd be like Hank Jr. opening up for Disturbed. Yeah. It's cool, you know? Yeah. It's a cool mix. Yeah. Because it's all dysfunction. <laughs> it's all about just dysfunction, which is what I relate to. I either relate to dysfunction, pride in your country and where you come from, or, or heartbreak. Those three things. Yeah, I mean, that's Drugs like music. and whores. America or, or heartbreak, yeah, you know? A moment for you, brothers, when we play with Montgomery Gentry at the Galveston Rally, and we opened for Montgomery Gentry, and it was like a few days later, they well, yeah, the, reached the, out. Yeah, the lady that runs the, the Galveston Rally, yeah. she reached out to me. Montgomery Gentry sent her an email 
about how much he loved my liked my show which is pretty cool because as an artist you got to pretty much really love a show to send an email to somebody about it you know no 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 one does it no one cares and it was cool because he came out of his bus and he watched our our show and it was a great show a great crowd a great night absolutely the night before we opened for charlie daniels it was it, we all killed it. And it was, we got to see the great Charlie Daniels right before he passed. Yep. I could only go back to that moment. I know. God bless his soul. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that national treasure right there. But, oh, kind of circling back. Hey, Paul. Yes, sir. Can you make me another Tito's and Sprite? <laughs> absolutely. Thank you, bro. Priorities. <laughs> That's why we keep it. It's the social right. lubrications. <laughs> it is. <laughs> And she said that we had Coke, so if that don't work, I'll take a Coke and Coca-Cola. Yeah, you're not going to confuse any of the people on this show with which Coke you're talking about. There's like probably 80,000 children listening to this right now. (laughs) Well, this is not the uh, the barrel racer episode we thought we were going to get, Mom. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) What do they mean? What does snow mean? I don't understand. It's Texas. It doesn't snow in Texas. Yeah, it snowed like you know what was the weirdest thing. Snow. It snowed. See? It snowed in San Antonio the other day. It actually it did snow here. It hasn't snowed in San Antonio in twenty years. Okay. Yeah. I didn't get state law. Nineteen eighty. It's been like the eighties or nineties before it snowed in San Antonio. They got like a good like half a foot too. I'm like, damn! Did you put any sprite in that thing? I always oh, get. I always get that when you're on stage. You're always like. Oh my gosh! I see that. <laughs> Paul, make, Paul makes the strongest drinks. I have to admire that about him. Yeah, we still have a little while to go on this podcast. I need you to stay in the chair. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so kind of circling back, like way back. Um, how was it that you kind Thank of you developed know. like the sound that you're going to do, right? Because I always find that to be fascinating. Like, I get the whole kind of what you like, what you sing about, but how do you go? From obviously what you're about, it's very obvious, you just laid it out, to how you actually want to sound and bring that out to an audience, right? Because that's got to be the hardest part, right? Putting those things together. It's hard to find a good team and it's hard to find a good producer that that gets what what you're about and you know what's best for your music. Luckily, I was, by the grace of God, I mean, I just got to give it to the good, you know, the good Lord above, but. I hooked up with two amazing producers, Bart Rose out of Fort Worth and my guitar player, Taz Osterhaus out of San Antonio. And I do all my country stuff in Fort Worth and I do most of my rock stuff in San Antonio. Although I did put a country song called whiskey. It fucks me up on our album <laughs> that we did, which, you know, it, I'm a, a big believer on calling stuff what it actually is that i mean when you're an artist like me and you you like to do different genres and i do southern rock i do heavy metal i've even done a, a kid rock style song uh, a up church song called burning and a lot of the times people get confused because my new album's called How Country Music Sounded Before It All Went to Ship, Volume 1. That does not mean that I don't like other genres of music. 
That just means I call music what it is. When I put out a rock song, when it, at the top of the screen it says rock. When I put out a country song, at the top of the screen it says country. And when I put out a hip-hop song, it says hip-hop. And that's the biggest thing to me is just calling the music actually what it is. And I'm blessed to be able to do different styles of music. There, there ain't many people out there that can say they're going to do a Merle Haggard tribute album and a Black Sabbath tribute album. And that both of them are going to be just as badass. And I, I think that that's Creed Fisher. Yeah, I mean, there's probably nobody doing all of those things, right? So you kind of have like your own genre where you play with every genre. I tell you what, man, I I have to give credit where credit's due, and I've 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 learned a lot about what I'm doing from up church, from Ryan up church. That dude's funny. That dude's super funny. I've learned a lot. Everything I'm doing right now is just kind of like modeled after what I saw him do. And Ryan Upchurch is an amazing rapper. Probably one of the best rappers I've ever heard. Better than Kid Rock. Just because he's an amazing songwriter. He writes, he puts out way. And so if you wonder why Creed Fisher's put out six albums in about 15 months, it's because I'm just watching what Ryan Upchurch has done. (laughs) And if you don't know Ryan Upchurch... You're one of the very few because he has over 2 million followers on Facebook. I mean, not Facebook, on YouTube. And, uh, I mean, he's just, if you're an independent artist, you need to check out Ryan Upchurch, if nothing more, just to see how he did what he did. And that's kind of the model I'm following. I remember when he was putting all those funny videos out on Facebook. I mean, he did a lot of different things to become famous. He was a comedian. He was, and he's an amazing artist. I mean, if you look at Ryan Upchurch, he's amazing. He's literally amazing at rap and rock. He kills it. Now, his countryside, I think, is his weak side, but he still does a really good job. I like his country stuff, a lot of it, some of it. Whereas I don't like anything by Florida Georgia Line or by by Luke Bryan or Kane Brown. Not not saying that, you know, I not, I just don't like it. That's it. But I like his music in the country genre. And regardless of that, I mean, I don't think, I mean, to me, his weakest link is his country side. To me, my weakest link is my rap side because I don't rap. <laughs> I'm not a rapper. <laughs> but but I've, de- I've delved into it and I've done pretty good because I have good producers, you know, that – and I, I I sing I sing shit that I love, so if I'm singing it, you can bet your ass I've sang it a hundred times by myself on my Harley when I'm riding. So, it will be labeled correctly. Yeah, I bet nobody does that, right? I mean, because they want to stick to one genre and and hold on to that and try to get as much. Well, not many people, not many people can do it. That's the thing. Yeah, or to probably even have the balls to do it. I mean, once you like, it does take balls. Yeah, because I know cause what I, if what if you freaking fail at it miserably. We cut the song, and I knew I knew that if I failed at it, I wouldn't put it out. Right, and we killed it. You're not afraid to fail. That's what we killed it, and the thing about it is, I know I'm still gonna get some shit for it, but I'm all right with it. And I've decided to put those songs out as singles instead of putting them on the album 
and just just to keep the album kind of to be honest with you just because i want to put an album out that has 10 creed fisher songs even though i could have put i was thinking about putting the fairies wear boots the burning the across the nation on the 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 rock album but i've just decided to put it out put them out as singles fairies wear boots has obviously been out for a while but because just for the simple fact that I know a lot of my fans won't like that type of music, a.k.a. Uncle Pooch. <laughs> and so that's kind of a thing I've learned over the years. You know, songs like that, I'm putting them out. For instance, Across the Nation comes out next week, and then Burning will come out a little bit after. So just so I can keep the Creed, the new rock Creed Fisher album, Creed Fisher, all Creed Fisher. Just hit me all at once. No, I mean, it makes sense from that standpoint. I mean, and when you get a certain, like, an audience built up, I mean, there's got to be some level of, like, I'm a little bit afraid to upset this audience, which so you have to kind of toe that line when you're in this industry probably, right? You do. And and Paul kind of brought this up with the whiskey, it fucks me up, you know, some songs to put them on the album, which I don't regret putting that on the album. It's one of the top three stream songs on the album, but just moving forward. But see, I wrote that song. These are songs I didn't write. And it's just more like I've done, you know, I've done the outlaw influence thing where I went back and covered all the greats. I've done the, how country sounded before it went to shit. Volume one, where I did all the underground stuff that people haven't really heard. And I just feel like with my next album with my band, I want to do all of my 10 of my own songs. And so instead of putting those three covers on it, I'm just going to put them out as singles. Not that they're not great songs, but I just don't want Uncle Pooch bitching about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I got to get Uncle Pooch's thumbs up on every album we do is uncle pooch a real person or is that a bunch of people that you're referring it, it, to like it, it a group is, it, like it, a denomination of uncle, uncle pooch uncle jesse oh yeah that's uncle, uncle pooch oh well, there you go that is uncle pooch they that look just uncle alike <laughs> now uncle pooch is my mom's brother i lived i lived beside him my whole life Wait, like original Dukes of Hazard? Are we talking about like the Jessica? The original. No, I was yeah, say, because the other one was Willie Nelson, wasn't Not it? Not the Jessica Simpson. No, he yeah. doesn't look like no Willie Nelson. Wasn't it? Wasn't in that one that they did of Jessica Simpson? It was Willie Nelson who played it, right? Yes. Yeah. Not that that's a bad thing. Or no, the Jessica that, Simpson at that time. Not that but. it's a bad thing, but Uncle Pooch is, he looks way different than that. <laughs> he's the original. He's like, the original, yeah. Like the, the Dukes of Hazard, they ripped Uncle off Pooch. of any and all TV because of the car. Right. Yeah, that one. Yeah. It's like Denver Powell, right? <laughs> That's the guy's name. Yeah. Uncle Pooch looks just like him. Yeah. Well, Paul, you have the benefit of you. You probably got to watch that show when it aired. Uh, uh, so <laughs> he he was probably in it. That's Dan's dog. <laughs> I'm glad you're not talking to me. He was probably in the show. If you watch the gauge, everybody gets targeted at least once. You know the That's funny fair. part about it is the funny part about it is everybody thinks okay. In my the my first my biggest hit that I've ever had my number one stream song is uh if you have a right to burn my flag okay and in that song I said I guess you didn't know you don't mess with General Lee and everybody thinks I'm talking about the general from the Civil War 
Robert E. Lee. Which, which I don't know why they would think that because they're not versed in redneckers. Okay, I'm talking about the car in the Duke's Hazard. Okay, which we had. A don't take the flag off the car of the Duke's Hazard. That's what I'm talking about. And we had an opportunity to actually uh, see that car. Not only see that car, we actually are going to film the video. It's going to be in the video for Stomp My Flag. Like the original, original one. That's yeah. pretty badass. And Creed gets to drive it around the Daytona Speedway. There you go. Oh, yes. shit. It's going to be awesome. That sounds great. That is funny, though, because they did tear down a statue of Robert E. Lee not too long ago. I can see why that's confusing. I get so many messages. They're like, why do you love Robert E. Lee? <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? I was talking about the car in Dukes of Hazzard, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Quit trying to take the damn flag off of it. The flag was on it, okay? We didn't have a problem with it back then. It's irritating me. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Have a problem with the flag, but like don't change history on something no. from back then. No, not at all. You can't say stuff like that anymore. Like and, and, and everything's it too pisses soft. me off because the KKK That's took the flag. Famous. That pisses me off, to be honest with you. Because because the the, the, the rebel flag the rebel flag to me represents Southern pride. It doesn't represent anything else. And so for the KKK to take that flag, it pisses me the hell off. But well, nobody's going to research that, right? The, everything's everybody's attention span. I think like everybody this. just grows, you know, as they go through life. And sometimes you just, I mean, you, you're growing up on Dukes of Hazard. You love it. You know, you don't know why you love it. You don't want to tell people why you love it. You just love it because it's on your favorite show that you love. Well, yeah, it is what it is. You know, I love, I love people in general, regardless of the skin color, but, uh, I do love Dukes of Hazard. That will never change. <laughs> I, and a matter of fact, my dad just texted me the other day. It was funny. I used to tell him, I used to give my mom and dad a lot of grief that they didn't name me Lo Bo or Luke Duke. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't fit you, brother. No, I used to get. You don't understand. I used to give that my. I used you. to give my parents shit for not naming me Bo or Luke. <laughs> <laughs> I really did. And just the other day, my dad texted me, and it was something about, "I'm sorry we didn't name you Bo Duke." And I texted him back, and I was like, "Dad, you named me Creed Fisher. I'm all right with it. It worked out for the best." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's so easy to change your name now, but you can't. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, you're 10 years too late, no. but you could have done it right before you started your music career. Yeah, I could have went into it as Bo Duke. Creed Fisher was a it's kind of what... That would be crazy. Unanswered prayers, man. <laughs> well, I mean, so you, you're, you're kind of at, at, like, the precipice of like hitting another level, right? You're about to hit another stride with this music thing. And that's why I'm happy that you got to come in now. Cause you're probably going to be balls to the wall for who knows how long. And, uh, I mean, hopefully, you know, all the shows open up and, and things get back to normal. I'm sure it's going to now, but we've been touring since August. I don't know what all the fuss is about. Brother, there's no stopping you. <laughs> we've been touring. We went to Sturges in August. 300,000 bikers uh, descended upon South uh, South Dakota. As far as I know, only about three died. Two were from, like, motorcycle wrecks. 
and we've been touring ever since. So I'll tell you what about this guy. We're uh, going to do what we can. I can tell you that. We had a show. Um, hey, Zach, pull, it, pull it close to your mouth. I there, can't exactly you. remember the town we were in, but uh, it was that. Step that, up to the goddamn plate, Chuck, if you that, talk. That weird place in Texas uh, we played where the, the woman didn't quite like the way we spoke to her little young sound man. I forgot that. What was that town? You remember? No. All I know You're is talking about the the uh, mud park we played. No, it wasn't a mud park. It was uh, it was years ago. But anyway, oh years ago. Well, long shit, story that's a great short. Clue. <laughs> well, long story short, I remember doing a show. We come off the stage and a guy comes up to me, and he was a marine. And he looks me in the eye and he goes, "You know what, guy? He goes, I just want to tell you." He goes, "I was over in Afghanistan, and me and the troops." You know, we, we're doing what we do because that's what we have to do to keep this country safe. And at the end of the day, we came home, we turned on the armed service radio, and we listened to Creed Fisher, and it got us through the day. And you know what? I've had a lot of compliments in my life, but that, that was probably one of the most special moments that I've ever received from a fan. And their favorite song is... Creed's biggest hit that pays his light bills is a song called If You Had the Right to Burn My Flag, I Had the Right to Kick Your Ass. And The song uh, I get the most shit over. Yeah, but you know what? You <laughs> every, voted every, from, every day, not every day, but every other day. You voted from the heart, and guys that are over there serving this country. Just, that, you that, know what I don't understand? What I don't understand why people on the other side don't. They, they act so nuanced. Okay, I'm not condoning violence. All I'm saying is I I wrote the song about a homeless veteran, okay? The guy's homeless. He served his country. And there was some guys burning a flag. He went over there, grabbed the flag out of the fire, and beat the dude's ass with the flag while it was still on fire. That's what I wrote the song about. And I have so many, I have a lot of veterans that are like, you know, I fought for this country and this isn't right. I don't understand this. When I grew up in my neighborhood, you might get your ass kicked for looking at somebody the wrong way. If you looked at somebody the wrong way, you might get your ass kicked. That's the, that's the neighborhood I grew up in. I grew up fighting for everything you had. Are you kidding me? You think I'm not going to fight for my flag, for my country? For that flag that comes on the caskets when they come home dead because they gave their life for our, our country? Who was that? In the neighborhood that I grew up in, guys got their ass kicked for looking at somebody wrong. Okay? I grew up in Odessa, Texas. I don't know where y'all grew up in. And so I just don't get it. Of course, I'm not going. Look, I don't promote violence unless it's called for. If someone's burning a flag, I'm not going to get involved unless I have to. But that doesn't change why I wrote the song. I wrote the song about a feeling that we all have. And I don't understand why people... No, it's not a right. Because in the song I say, if you have a right to burn my flag, I have a right to kick your ass. It's not a right. Because obviously that's not in the law. It's a choice. That's why a lot of the times at the end of the song I'll say that. I have the choice to kick your ass. Because of that veteran that did just that, you know. And to a homeless veteran, he don't have much to lose. So. 
All I'm saying is it was an honor to have the respect of the guys who appreciate that you appreciate them. Well, Absolutely. I mean, you're a veteran yourself. Yes, sir. So you've served this country, and so, I mean, it, it hits home for you another level when you see, you know. My grandfather, I don't, I didn't do anything when I was in the service. I was in from 92 to 95. There was nothing going on. It was right after the Gulf War. It was before 9-11. So I don't act like I'm some war hero or I'm some military hero. Yes, did I serve? Yes. Where I come from is I grew up in a family. My grandfather left and did not come home for four years. So if you have not dealt with that, then then you don't understand where, where I'm coming from. World War II? World War II. My grandfather left. The day he left, he did not come home for four years. How old was he when he went over there? He was in his late 30s, early 40s. Oh, man. So he was, he was older about, he was than about 38, 39. The there. Yeah. And when he got back, he was in his 40s. And when my grandpa got back, my uncle did not recognize him. And my uncle had been the man of the house, so my uncle... Him and my uncle never had a good relationship. It was just like this guy showing up when you're like four, acting, you know, telling you what to do and bossing you around. You're four or five years old, you know, and you ain't seen this guy before. And their relationship never recovered. And my father was born after World War II. My father's a baby boomer. And so my father was the first child that my grandpa got to raise. And having that same experience myself where my daughter was the first child I got to raise, I relate to that. And so my dad and my grandpa were real close. And my uncle and my grandpa had a lot of problems. Do you and know it, your grandpa pretty well? You my grandpa, a lot of time with him? My grandpa was my best friend. I, I write about that a lot. My grandpa raised me. From the time I can even remember, I was with my grandpa. And my grandpa retired to Belton. And I left Belton when I was about fifth grade. And I came home when I was in seventh because my grandpa died and we had to come we had to go back to Odessa. But my grandparents retired to Belton. And so I mean, my grandpa basically raised me which I think is the case with a lot of kids, you know? I mean, your dad, <laughs> your grandpa is at a place where he can give you some wisdom, and your father is at a place where you don't need to listen to him. He's still messing up. <laughs> you know? Yeah, Grandpa's true. done messing up. I mean, I, I remember a time, and it's crazy. I can't even tell you, man, all the crazy stuff. But I guess that's why I'm here to tell you. That's but, right. But my my dad took me to the titty bar when I was eight years old, <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't I didn't tell my mom that until a couple years ago, because I didn't feel like she was ready to hear it. <laughs> but my dad took me to the titty bar when I was eight years old, and he he paid to have you know a dancer dance and. All I kept thinking about was where the hell's my mom? <laughs> you know, and, and then, you know, when I was, 
you know these are just some of the more you know harsh realities of the way i grew up but when i was 11 years old uh i drove my dad when i was 11 years old my my granddad died who was my best friend my granddad was the rock of the family he was the the glue that held everything together and he passed away and i'll never forget the day i was 11 years old and i'm 46 sitting here right now and the day is vivid as it was then me and my parents had a trailer a little trailer that we had put in behind my grandparents house i'll never forget i woke up just in time to look out the window and my dad came around and walked past the window and and he had a look on his face like i'd never seen and he came in he said i need you to come you know I need you to come outside and my grandfather was laying dead in in the bathroom of his house. And my dad said, you know, your your grandfather died last night. He's dead. And he took me to go see my grandpa. This is pretty much the saddest moment of my life. And, The man that I loved and admired was, he was laying dead on the floor. And my grandma was, she looked like she'd seen a ghost. And I got to say goodbye, you know, before, before they came and got him. And he's why I do what I do. Why I have so much uh, faith in Creed Fisher, because... That was his name, too, and he was named James Creed Fisher, and it's been 30 years ago. I still remember like it was yesterday. God bless his soul. Cheers to James Fisher. Yes. Cheers, brother. Yes. It's, it's, it's crazy, right, how, like, you – there's always, like, that one person in your life – and you were 11 years old. I mean, you're, you, just, you just told me you're 46 now. And for that to still bring that to you, I mean, that that shows how important he was to you. And I think all of us, like everybody in this room has like that one person, right, where they do that for you. And you can look back to pivotal moments in your life that set you up for where you're going to be because of that person. And clearly, based on, I mean, just your reaction. Right. I mean, you're one of the toughest looking dudes I've seen today. And, uh, you know, when you talk about your grandpa when you're 11 years old, it levels everybody, right? Like it all shows you just how think important the connection think. is with people like that. How how you gotta have that one person to do anything without. I mean, we see people all the time, right? Who don't have that person, right? And I you mean, have to have that person that inspires you, exactly, to be better. That person that shows you by personal example. They don't tell you how to do stuff; they show you how to do stuff. By what they do every day in their life. And that's why I always say about my grandpa is. Like he, he didn't tell me what to do. He showed me what to do. When it comes to loving a woman, the way my grandpa loved my grandma, like that's how, if I don't have that, then that's how I know what, what it was. You know what I mean? To be a man, to 
to fight against all the odds and to win and to to be strong. Everything that that I know about that comes from him. And I I know somewhere he's looking down. My grandpa's name was James Creed Fisher. Nobody called him James. Everybody called my grandpa Creed Fisher. Any any story I've ever heard about him was always Creed did this, Creed did that, you know. It was just his name was Creed Fisher. And so my whole life, my name was Christopher. My name's Christopher Creed Fisher. And my whole life through my school years till I got divorced, to the day I got divorced, I was Christopher. I was Chris. Unless my mom was pissed, and then I was Christopher Creed. But until the day that I, that I got into music, I was Chris Fisher. And then the day I started music, I was Creed Fisher. And ever since then, you know, I've been Creed Fisher, and it's been a tough road. It ain't been easy, but but I always it always means a little bit more knowing that that was my grandpa's name. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I mean, and that kind of ties in the whole story here. It really does. I mean, cause it just brought the whole thing together for me and it makes sense why you call yourself Creed Fisher now. I mean, it, it just really brings the whole thing together and I'm glad you shared that. I mean, really, I think there's so many people who can relate to that part of it more than the rest. Not everybody's gonna right. be able to relate to being a rock star rapping country music <laughs> dude who can do it all, but everybody's going to relate to that shit. Right. Everybody. So I'm, I'm glad you shared that. When I met Creed, he said, Bubba, I want my granddaddy's name to be known. I'm like, wow, how cool was that? No, right? I, want to, I want my granddaddy's name to be etched in time. Right. At, not like the album I just did was of guys that I admire so fucking much, man. The album I just did is called How Country Music Sounded Back Before It All Went to Shit, Volume 1. The songs that I did, there was a couple of songs by Keith Whitley, who's etched in time. But a, a lot of the songs that I did were by Wade Hayes. They were by Ken Mellons. They were by Davis Daniel. Guys that were amazing, but their their names aren't etched in, in time, you know. And the thing about... about Creed Fisher is I feel like what I always wanted to do was be like Hank Jr., to be like Waylon, to be like Merle, to be like Willie. Just that next level. And so I think I, I love the project, to be honest with you, because it's songs that most of my fans are 22 to 45. So unless you're my age, I'm 46. You won't you won't know who Wade Hayes is. You won't know who Ken Mellons is. You won't know who Davis Daniel is. But they were amazing artists that that I'm proud to represent. And they gave their life. They gave everything, just like me. They did exactly like what I'm doing, except they didn't have all the power in their hands like I have. I've never signed a deal with Nashville. I do what I want, when I want, how I want. 
And I think that makes the music better. I mix the songs like I want to mix the songs, not like the guy in Nashville wants to mix the songs. And I do the songs I want to do, the songs I feel, the songs I feel like I can pull off, not the songs someone else thinks I can pull off. And so that's why I think that I've just, I've won a place in a lot of people's hearts for not changing and for doing things the way I do and for, for keeping country country because that's hard to find these days, to be honest with you. It's real hard. Got to look hard. Speaking of that, speaking of music and country, should we play some freaking music? Wrap up the podcast and you can we should. Get, get on that guitar and we'll listen. We should play some music. You should. I think that's a great spot to kind of close the podcast and then jump into the music. Let's do it. <laughs> you had me a steak. You had me a steak. All right. Listen. Sorry, that was over my ears. In this town There's a little girl in that And her mama stole my heart And every day when I wake up And I work hard Gonna do the best I can Not to let them down Here in this town In this town no dirt road where I wreck my daddy's truck And those deer stand where I shot that 12 haunt bug I was smiling ear to ear when he fell down Here in this town In this town we cheer for our team on Friday night And Grandma, she still makes her apple pie Homemade sweet tea to wash it down Here in this town We break our back, we best our ass Bear and Johnny Clash by Johnny Cash Way out here, you know we love that sound We wave our flags, we push our love Love big old, love Love old hot dogs and I don't even know Love old hound dogs and dirty old trucks We grow what we need from the ground Here in this town it's a new song, man. God damn it. Don't record that, for fuck's sakes. We got where you, we got where you were going with it. <laughs> Can you do you? Oh, shit. Damn it, Paul. Yes, sir. Do I, do I have to? <laughs> do I have to do Bible on the table. How about that one? Well, I love how he always sits around the swimming pool and he picks you. Yeah. And I'm like, God, dog, and I, he's transformed me into wanting to hear it all the time. I'm like, that's cool, because it's rolling through his brain. <laughs> Sometimes. 
He hasn't eaten, so. Yeah. We may have to play guitar at Saltgrass Steakhouse. <laughs> This place in time Always on my mind This place in time When I was with you But now you're gone Left here on my own All alone to try to find the truth Nothing makes me feel the way you do I'm fucked up in the head Just like you Time has a way of healing things Replacing all the pain that love can bring Time will not erase my love for you Nothing makes me feel the way you do I'm fucked up in the head Just like you These days grow cold Watch myself grow old I fade away into a darkened room I try to let go But your love is all I've known You left me broken down and so confused Nothing makes me feel the way you do Time has a way of healing things Erasing all the pain that love can bring But time will not erase my love for you Nothing makes me feel the way you do I'm fucked up in the head Just like you That's it. darkness I still feel the light get on my knees thank the Lord every night for always providing everything that I need power of Jesus in this Bible I read The hard times Taking a toll 
there's a war going on from my heart and my soul look up toward the sky king still on his throne Stand strong in your faith And be whole I've always loved The good old U.S. of A Comes from the heart when I stand up and say I'll never run From the devil He'll know Good Lord above Still the one in control Hard times are taking a toll I messed that up big time. That's all right, but be the Hard times are still taking a toll there's a war going on for my soul. The man on his throne, he's still in control. Be a This has been The Gage, hosted by me, Chance Conrado, produced and edited by our guy Ty Yeager. Shout out to the executive producers, Dustin Pointer and Cody Denton. Marketing and content produced by Riley Chone. Our theme song is by Shay Ashire and the Night Howlers. Make sure to rate and review this podcast, as well as follow The Gage on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to The Gage wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next time.